I just don't get this because I'm not in bed crying, screaming, crying. It's been two months and I, I'm functioning, but I'm not crying 24 seven like I should be. I'm not laying in bed. I'm not puking. I'm not, you know, distraught. I'm like out of my mind with questions and I'm mad. I'm, I'm not, I'm mad and I'm frustrated and I'm not crying. And as I'm saying this, I'm crying. <laughs> she just said, God understands that you're mad. And he would wonder why you wouldn't be mad. And I said, what? <laughs> what? He's, he's okay that I'm mad at him. And she said, hope, you know, God is here for you. And he understands that you're going to be upset and you're going to be hurt and you're going to be mad and that's okay and God expects that. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Hope Rieger is the founder of Grief to Hope, a group she facilitates in memory of her son, Justin Colmap, who at 19 lost his life at the hands of his roommate. There are few conversations more difficult than talking with a mom who has lost a child. And Hope was so gracious and genuine that it eased the conversation. I couldn't help but think that when they named her Hope, they spoke something enduring over her life. You're going to hear her heartbreak but you will also hear her joy and sense of humor rise to the surface. And maybe you'll hear what I heard, the qualities of hope, optimistic about the future, focused on the best in other people, accepting of change, engaged in life. One of the moments that really got my heart, and it was because it really drove home the fact that God doesn't focus on what we get fixated on. He cares for us on such an intimate level that we can miss what he's doing. But I don't think Hope missed it. Hope was is talking about guilt associated with her son's passing. The young man who killed her son pleads self-defense, so there's no trial. Hope has not only laid her son to rest, but now she has to lay down any need or desire or really a right for justice to be done for her son. I'm then struck by the fact that a derivative of Justin is justice, meaning just, fair, righteous. And it would appear that he didn't get that. But Hope chooses to rest her heart on the fact that God will take care of that. And God is concerned about focusing on her because she feels that God spared her not only from a potential lengthy trial and reliving the details over and over, but that when God doesn't pave the way for a trial, he also spares her from dodging any guilt she might have. And what I mean by that is when we're grieving something that has been torn away, there's always, or at least there always seems to be a degree of regret or guilt. A trial would have given Hope a target to focus on, but it would have also delayed her need to process one of the most painful parts of losing someone, and that is not being able to change the outcome. Hope said, moms fix everything. They make everything better. That's what we do. She has to face all the questions and running scenarios through her mind and what she could have done differently. She has to process it. And interestingly, it's part of what is making her so mad at God. It's like he doesn't let her shy away from her anger at him. He wants to engage her, draw her into a conversation, inviting her to pour it out to him. Hope believes that she was given this pain for purpose and positivity. In her Grief to Hope groups, she provides kindness and support for all types of grief. And her goal is to provide a safe place of peace, hope, and support. 
In the seven-week series, she uses the acronym GRIEF to help with the grieving process. And if you're listening prior to January 2022, the newest seven-week series of the year will start on January 6th. Check her out at grief2hope.com. And that two is the number two, grief2hope.com. If I remember correctly, she said you don't have to come to all seven. You can just drop in when you can. It's all done on Zoom, and you'll be in a safe space where you're not alone in grief. And real quick, before we get started, she refers to being at Tim Hortons, and that is a coffee and donut shop. Welcome, Hope. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Not that I want to dig around in anybody's pain, but I'm looking forward to the redemption, hearing some of the the portion that God does redeem. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Let's start a little bit about your family before we draw the focus in on your precious son, Justin Cole Mapp. And so tell us a little bit about your life and your family. So I grew up in a small, small, small little town called Ludlow Falls. I don't even know um, if the falls exist anymore in Ohio. Um, My parents divorced when I was eight. So I was very young. That's when I realized that I use humor to sort of make things better and be positive. So like my parents told me very simply that they were getting a divorce and dad was leaving. And, and I remember it was after a Brownie Girl Scout troop uh, meeting. And I remember saying, no problem, you know? Okay. I was eight years old. And I remember telling my dad simply, I got this dad, don't worry about us. We're fine. And, you know, making some ridiculous joke and looking back on it now, I'm like, that's how I, you know, deal with pain and and trauma. We moved around a lot. I don't think ever recovered from it. She was a housewife. And so we moved into mom needs to get a job. And then she became more involved in nightlife. My sister was five years older than me. After my dad left, we basically were on our own is the way that I feel. Mom was, you know, busy and um, doing her thing and trying to live through her pain. And my sister and I, we pretty much raised ourselves. And then when I was a teenager, I was very much on my own. And I ended up having my son, my oldest son, when I was very young. And my mother decided if I was going to have kids that I was going to be on my own. And so I was on my own from a very young age. And that, to- that shaped me for who I am. And that taught me that no matter what I'm given, I have to be determined and I have to be goal oriented and I have to work my butt off to get where I want to be. I used that as a catapult in my whole entire life. I got a great job. I worked very hard in my job and I'm still at that same job. I just celebrated 25 years. I did get married. I had my youngest son, Justin, and we had some tragedy in that. My husband was 27 years old, had five bypasses. He had a hereditary heart disease. He still survived, but we lost everything. We went from owning our own business. He ran a concrete business, but we lost everything when he, when he got sick. He ended up at 27 years old being on social security. I worked two jobs and did what I could. And as the kids grew older, he had three kids and I had two kids. We just made it work. And then once the kids got old enough, for whatever reason, I think that was the glue that held us together. We ended up divorcing. We, I guess we didn't have anything to either fight about or argue about or get along about. So the kids were, were older. Justin, my youngest, was almost 17 at the time. And then my oldest, Brian, was 24. It was difficult. And I changed roles in my job. So I moved to Columbus. My oldest son at the time had his own life and bought a home. Justin was at the time, once I moved here, he was 18. So he was living the life, did not want to move to Columbus and not be with his friends and and hang with his, his group. And so he decided at that time, he was in and out of my house in Columbus, but most of the time he stayed with friends. And then in September of 2016, he ended up moving in with two roommates. And that's where the story actually begins of what happened with Justin. So he moves into uh, an apartment or a home with two other roommates. Sometimes that can be odd man out anyway. So 
Justin is living on his own with two other roommates. What transpires between him and the roommates that comes to the, the end of his life? November 17, 2016, I received a knock at the door and I was living, like I said, in Columbus and I lived in a condo. And so upstairs, I looked out at 630 in the morning. I was like, who in the world's knocking at my door? I don't know anybody really in Columbus. And I look out and I see two police officers standing there. And I thought, "Mm, that's weird. But then I think I have two boys. So I went downstairs and I answered the door and they asked me if I was Justin's mom. And I said, yes. And of course, Justin would be the prime one if if there was somebody in trouble. And the one that probably couldn't remember. And my cell phone, he's in jail. He got picked up for somebody who doesn't know mom's cell phone number, right? Because he just punches it. I said, yeah, absolutely. And they handed me this piece of paper and said, "Um, here's a name and a number we need you to call. And I said, "Uh, do you know what it's about? And they said, no, we're not quite sure. So I thanked them, thought it was weird, but I thought if they, if something was serious, they would have told me. Right. And uh, cause you hear about the knock at the door or whatever. I said, okay. And so I went upstairs and and dialed the number because it seemed urgent. And the person on the other line answered Green County Corner. And that's when my life totally changed from what it was before that phone call to after that phone call, he asked me if I was Justin's mom. I said, absolutely. Um, He said, I regret to inform you that your son has passed. And I was like, you've got the wrong Justin. You've got the wrong hope. I don't know what you're talking about. He had called me the night before and I didn't answer because one, I thought, oh, I need money. Two, I was on my way to the movies with a friend and I thought, if he needs something, he'll call back. And so I thought, he just tried calling me last night. He said that Justin had gotten to a verbal altercation with his roommates, with one roommate, and they ended up fighting physical, throwing punches. And Justin didn't have any guns or knives or anything, but this other gentleman had a gun. I don't know if Justin knew that, but apparently Justin had him up against a wall and He felt like his life was, you know, in jeopardy. The roommate did. Took out his gun, put it to Justin's chest, shot and killed him. I'm so sorry. Thank you. So I don't know exactly what happened that night. I'll never know. The only person that knows is up in heaven. I don't, I'll never know. Probably the worst thing that I think about is Justin um, laying there and not being able to call me or they waited to get their story straight before they called or, you know, who knows what could have happened. And I'll never know. I'll never know. I remember the moment that this little teeny doctor told me that my husband didn't make it. And so I began to argue with her about, she could still be in there trying that she wasn't trying hard enough. Did you experience that out of body disconnect, but yet functioning? Do you recall any of that? Absolutely. You know, it's crazy because when you get that message, the first thing that I'm doing is like, I got to call these people because it was on the news and I didn't realize it was on the news. They didn't say his name, but it was on the news. So the first thing, my son lives in that same town, my oldest son, I was like, okay, I got to call these people. So I don't even know if I said goodbye or if I hung up or what to the coroner. I know that he asked me for my son's address to meet me because he felt, he did feel incredibly bad that he had to tell me this over the phone. So he did came on, come later, but I jumped in the shower and I got ready. And I remember being in the shower thinking, what am I doing in the shower? How did I get here? How did I get, like, I just told all these people that my son passed and he was killed and I'm in the shower. Then the next thing I know I'm on, on, on the road. I tell people the way that I explain it best is those first few days are like candle wax melting. It's just real blurry and hot and you just don't know what you're doing. And by the time you figure out where you're at, you're at a different place. So yeah, absolutely. It was out of body kind of, I, I remember bits and pieces, but not all of it. I'm with you on that. The first year, I don't remember anything about the first year, much less 
the immediate days, the funeral, things like that. So I can totally relate to that. Were you able to go see Justin? You know, one of the hardest things that is not talked about, funerals aren't talked about. You sort of get in this automatic robot mode, which you're, you're put in just like you said with the doctor, like go in and fix it, you know, make it right. And I was thinking the same thing. I can just drive home and I can fix Justin and make it right. Cause that's what moms do. We make everything all better and um, nobody has to feel this horrific pain. I'll just fix it. So I asked the coroner if I could see Justin and, and he said that he was at a different county's morgue and that there was an investigation because of the murder and that I wouldn't be able to see him till I got him moved to a funeral home. And so then I'm on a mission, right? As a mission to get my kid to a funeral and I'm calling all these funeral homes and I called a friend of ours and he said, well, I need $10,000. And I'm like, Well, I don't, I can get it, but I can't get it right now. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. Like you had to have money up front. So I said, okay, let me figure this out. And then I called a couple more funeral homes, same thing. And I was like, okay, so maybe I need to figure out this money thing. And that's the last thing you want to worry about. So I ended up calling this funeral home in a town close by ours. And the lady was amazing. And she said, we will go get him and we will figure it out. This is a national chain of funeral homes that I think, I think, you know, and I was so shocked, but it took a day. I'm thinking before they could go get him, maybe two days. I can't really remember if it was 24 hours or 48 hours, but I remember walking into that funeral home and all my family was there. I just wanted to see Justin and they were wanting me to do all the planning first. So just imagine when you know your son's somewhere in the building, but you can't, and and I get it. Um, And maybe he wasn't ready. I don't know. And she asked me if I was ready to see Justin. And I asked my family, his dad and mothers and grandparents were all there. and, And I said, can I go in first? I didn't know what to expect. And as a mother, you, you got to hold it together for everybody else. So I thought if I could go in by myself, I can deal with me and then let everybody in. And so I walked into this viewing room and I seen Justin far down and he was laying on this hospital bed and it was white and cold. He didn't have clothes on. He was completely naked. However, they had a sheet over him. And I remember walking over and he was so cold and I just broke down. That was the first time I had literally broke down and I could not stop touching him. Like I felt like my warmth would make him feel better or I would fix this. And, and I'm saying, I'm sorry. And, and, it's just it was so overwhelming. You just can't believe what's, what you're seeing. I remember how long his hair had gotten. Not that I hadn't seen him, but his hair just seemed really long. I, I didn't want to see where he was shot. And I knew it was in his chest and I never saw it. I never looked at it. I never, I, I don't know if I should have, if maybe that was more closure. I don't know, but I never looked down. The lady asked me if I was ready and I said, yes. And I just remember the family coming in there and they were just as in shock as I was like, it's very like took your breath away. Um, And it was just seemed like so cold in there. And I remember his grandmother screaming off the top of her lungs. And I just was like, Oh my gosh, I can't deal with it. I think I could have dealt with anything besides it was just screaming And everybody was crying and screaming or she was screaming. And then his aunt kept trying to kiss him. And that drove me nuts. I don't know why I was like, stop, you know, and it was just, it was horrible. It was the most, probably that was the most difficult thing like that I had ever, of course, ever gone through. But during that time, that was the hardest is to just be in that room and see him. I can't even imagine. I can't even wrap my mind around something like that. From a mother's perspective, you don't even get the chance to make it right. You don't get the chance to fix anything 
or make a difference. And that goes against everything that a mother knows or wants to do. One of the things that I've heard that's common in other people's stories is regrets or guilt. Did you struggle with any of that? I struggled with a lot of it. One, I didn't answer the call. I didn't call him back either. My first thought was, oh, he must have found money or he he found a ride or whatever he needed. And still to this day, I have that movie that we watch. I I know exactly what that movie is. And um, it was a Christmas movie because this was around Thanksgiving. I have forced myself to watch it again. But um, so the guilt that you have, one, I wasn't, I didn't answer the call. And maybe he would have called and said, mom, come get me. I'm not in a good space. What if I would have made him live in Columbus? Or what if I would have forced him not to be at that location or say, you're not living there or not give him groceries to stay there, whatever it could have been. After Justin passed and my work offered counseling, And I remember talking to the counselor and she said to me, Hope, you have free will. And there's actions, decisions from other people. They have free will. So the guilt that I felt was lessened because she said, if you would have forced Justin to be, live with you or whatever it may have been, you would have answered the call. He may have not answered you back. You could have had a big argument and not said, I love you. It it could have been a million different things. So free will means your reactions could be different to what his reactions are. So there's always those what ifs and you can't, you can't live in regret. And so it's still there. As you can hear from my voice, it still guilts me. Um, But I know that who knows what could have happened if I would have done something different. I think the would have, should have, and could have are some of Satan's most cruelest weapons that he uses against us, especially a mama heart. And he just wants to rip things up from the inside out. Were you clinging to any scriptures? Were you crying out to the Lord at this time to process that? I felt like for my regret, it was right in front of me. My husband was telling me he didn't feel well. My husband was not a sick man. Mm -hmm. And I missed it. It was smack dab in front of me. I had this opportunity and I missed it and I'll never get it back again. Right. And and so that's part of my guilt. And I had to find peace with that. But what were some of the ways that you dealt with this to process it? Growing up, we didn't go to church. I probably went to church maybe five, a handful of times. And then after the divorce, we, we did not go to church. During my adulthood, I did have a stint of going to church Again, it's a handful of times after this happened, I was so, so angry with God. I thought, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you make a difference? We're good people. We know we didn't go to church every Sunday, but we believed in God. I thought I'm being punished for this. Justin, he didn't deserve this. He didn't deserve to have his life ended. And so I was pretty frustrated with God. And I thought, You keep all these rapists and abusive people out here and you take my son who had his whole life. And here I am being sunshine and roses and positive my whole entire life and try to make everybody's life better. And you take my son. I didn't do anything horrible. There was a period right after Justin, I was, I was mad as heck at God. I remember the same counselor and mind you, this counselor was this little blonde haired girl. And I was like, What's she going to teach me? I was like, I could be your mom. And she said, I really recommend you go see Grief Share. It's it's a Christian-based grief group. And I was like, oh yeah, that's where they want me to be. You want me to walk into a church and where I'm really bad at God and I'm not educated enough to know any better. She was like, just think about it, Hope. Just think about it. And I said, okay, I'll think about it. And then it came to me like, I want answers. I want God to tell me what he thought he was doing by taking my son. And so then I had a chip on my shoulder and I was like, I'm going to go to this grief chair and I'm going to tell this lady what I think about God. Who's the lucky lady leading this grief chair, right? So one night I decided to go. It was nighttime and and this lady walks out and she said, are you hope? I said, yes, I am hope. I'm here today because my son is gone and I am not happy with God. And she's like, okay, let's walk back here. So we went back to the group and it was just me. It was just me and her. She said, you know, I'm not sure if anybody else is going to be here, but let's just talk. Well, 
I just don't get this because I'm not in bed crying, screaming, crying. It's been two months and I'm functioning, but I'm not crying 24 seven like I should be. I'm not laying in bed. I'm not puking. I'm not, you know, distraught. I'm like out of my mind with questions and I'm mad. I'm, I'm not, I'm mad and I'm frustrated and I'm not crying. And as I'm saying this, I'm crying. (laughs) She just said, God understands that you're mad. And he would wonder why you wouldn't be mad. And I said, what? (laughs) What? What? He's, he's okay that I'm mad at him. And she said, hope, you know, God is here for you. And he understands that you're going to be upset and you're going to be hurt and you're going to be mad and that's okay. And God expects that. And I was like, this isn't how this was going to go. And she talked to me and the next weeks, we had several weeks. It's a 13 week course called Grief Share. Just being in that group and it ended up, I went through it twice because of that lady. She was amazing. And she taught me a lot about God. She taught me a lot about, and that grief share taught me a lot about it. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about God and I'm still learning. And she, bless her heart. She got me a little children's Bible. Cause I was like, I don't understand anything in that Bible. It doesn't make sense to me. And just her patience and sweetness was amazing. And one night I was driving home from one of those grief shares. And I said, God, what do you want for me? I'm I'm here. I'm going to this grief share. I'm learning about you. I'm still mad, still not happy with you, but I'm okay. I'm better. What do you want? What's my purpose? Why did you put me through this? I thought there has to be a reason for this. There has to be. I heard the words, be kind. I was like, did I hear that? It was like you and I talking. And or did I hear it on the radio? Did I hear it in my head? Where did I hear that from? So I thought to myself, that's it? That's all you want me to do is be kind? Does that mean kind to others? Does that mean be kind to myself? Does that mean be kind? What does that mean? I started volunteering and I started paying it forward. And I tell this story. I was in Tim Hortons and I paid for the guy behind me and the cashier. I look over and his name was Justin, which was my son's name. And I was like, oh God, this is really what you want me to do? You you better make me rich because I can't keep paying for everybody, (laughs) right? I remember thinking all these great things that I could do, but nothing really solid fit until COVID hit. And then Grief to Hope was born. And we will definitely talk about that because that's the part of redemption of your pain and suffering. We talked about your what you struggled with, with regrets, but was there any identity shift? I know that you have another son, so it's not like the the title of mother was taken from you. Did you experience any type of identity questions? You know, I've always told people there's, I'm version one and then version 2.0. Like right now I'm hope version 2.0. And what that means is, is I was always sunshine, laughter, positivity for the most part, even when tragic things happen. Like I told you with the divorce, I'm joking. I make laughter to make light of situations. Hand me the worst and I'll make it sunshine and roses. So when Justin passed, the one thing that I didn't want to do is lose that hope that I loved, that everybody loved. I, I lost Justin and I didn't want to lose hope, literally. And so I thought, how do I get that back though? How do I become positive and happy again? And the guilt of doing that, right? Because then you're like, my son's gone. How could I be happy? How could I, how could I laugh? How could I be sunshine and, and rainbows? Then it came to me that I was meant to be who I'm meant to be. And when Justin passed, I realized, oh my gosh, I gotta be even better. I got to not only live my life, but I got to live his life too. What happened was it was a transformation within myself that I needed to take that hope that I loved, the trauma that I went through, learn from that, guide from that, 
I still have those bad days. People are always like, are you always this happy? Are you always this fun? No, I'm not. I'm not. And I have bad days too. When anniversaries and stuff come around or, or when something I smell or taste or hear or see, I have moments, but I realized that that version 2.0 needed to be one grateful that I got the 19 years with Justin. I live in the moment. I think about, okay, instead of a traffic jam, I think I've, I hope that person that's in that wreck is okay and fine. And thank God that wasn't me or my son versus I'm 15 minutes late for work. This is ridiculous. I celebrate things uh, with full heart. And I recognize that there's so much kindness that needs to be had in this world. If I can give it, that's one more person that, that hears my story, that understands they're not alone. That's my version 2.0 hope. So I think what you mean by identity, that's what I found. Like, I didn't want to lose half a hope, <laughs> right? right? but I think I poured more into it and I'm more forgiving, more understanding, as well as more thoughtful, I think. That's a beautiful transformation. And you even touched on the fact of guilt, like being able to laugh again and not feel guilty, have a good day and not feel guilty. And it sounds like you remedied that by saying, no, I'm going to live for the both of us. I'm going to take my name, hope that has been spoken over me. And that's who I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to carry this joy throughout my life. I don't want to put words in your mouth. How do you feel about that particular statement that dealing with guilt? When I have those good days and I'm laughing, sharing my story, gosh, I feel like it's honoring him. I don't, you know, guilt is probably what I dealt with when his first, maybe first year or two was the laughter. You know, how can you smile? How can you be happy? Why aren't you in this corner laying in bed, crying and weeping? And I thought, if anything that I need to do with myself, Justin would want me to persevere and be the person that I was, the person that he loved, right? Because that's one of the things that I found that, that makes me feel better is that guilt of not being happy is not what Justin would have wanted. Justin would have wanted me to be happy and live for him and live my life. It's almost like I would think that he would feel guilty if I didn't. Like he would feel that guilt if I didn't live in a, in a way that made him happy. I tell people all the time with my mountain, I climb a mountain, right? That light is just in heaven and God. And that's up there on that mountain, right? That's a light. So I climb this darkness. And if I can pull anybody in with me to climb that mountain, to get to a point where we are both working and we have strength and courage, and we get up to the mountain to that light and we look down and we're like, Psh. I did it. You know, I helped somebody make it here. That's what it's all about, right? Like I want to leave a legacy where Justin and I can stand at that hill and all my family that's in heaven and say, you know what, mom, you, you did it okay, right? You did all right. And that's, that's what it's about. I want him to look down and even now and say, gosh, mom, you are kicking it. And I'm so proud of you. Backing up a little bit, you mentioned yes. Grief Share. I went to Grief Share too. That yeah. was transformational. And I waited two years to go. Mm -hmm. So I learned two things. One, I should have been there much earlier. And two, grief will wait for you. If you don't process it, it will wait for you. Did you have any problem processing your grief and pain? Did you delay it? Did you buffer it? You know, I love that. First, I went to Grief Share. I was on a mission, right? I was on a mission to figure out why God did this. And two, I wanted answers and I'm a planner by, by nature. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself six months to get this grief over with or get to this certain point of grief. And I think one of the words that when God said to be kind, one of the things was the gentleman that shot and killed Justin was arrested for murder, bonded out by his parents. It went to a grand jury trial and he pled self-defense and they, it didn't even go to trial. So he never paid the price as far as justice is concerned. Right. Now I realize now one of the things that was taught to me is that God is his father. He has to answer to him. God is a father. I look on my children with unconditional love too. 
I feel as if God had told me, I'm not going to put you through that trial. I'm not going to put you reliving that over and over again and not getting the results or that revenge that you feel like you may need. In that instance, my guilt didn't get put on hold, but I know so many others, it does. Because you start to focus on that trial and that revenge and that hatred and that frustration and, and who wouldn't, right? You wouldn't, I, I couldn't imagine not feeling that anger and listening to that and hearing that evening over and over again. And you know how trials could sometimes go two years. And I think that God knew that I couldn't do that, that he had something better for me. And that I needed to take that pain and anger and negativity and revenge. I had to let that go. And I had to even be kind about myself and to that person that, that killed Justin. Even though he took my son, I had to learn to forgive and realize that that's not my burden to carry. And that's his burden to carry. And that all that pain and suffering could go into something more positive and more helpful and more valuable. And so that's what I did. I think it's acceptable that you would want to put a, a responsibility on someone or something. And so it does give you this target to focus on and to pursue in, in order to remedy mm -hmm. this anger that you have and you want to make somebody responsible. The fact that you would lay that down is nothing shy of supernatural. I think that's the kindness of God. Do you see him pursuing you through this time when you're mad at him and you are, you know, not having much to say to him, but then you engage him by saying, what are you doing, Lord? Why did you do this? Did you sense he was pursuing you before you turned to him and said, what in the world did you do? I think throughout my whole life, God's been there. I just haven't acknowledged it, right? I found myself praying when I needed him. Versus saying, you know, thank you. And, and we all do it. It's not, I'm, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I, I think the greatest gifts that I've gotten over the four years is when I'm closer to, closer to God. It's also allowed me to trust him because I put myself out there a lot of times and I say, God, give me the words with all of my events throughout my whole life has led up to where I am today. I'm learning to trust him and I'm learning to be patient and know that he's got this path for whatever reason. And I've also learned that I can ask as many questions, but they may not all get answered. <laughs> right. And, and I have to be okay with that. Some questions are answered and some aren't. And I still wonder, and I'm very, like I said, I'm very uneducated when it comes to certain things. And I am the first one to admit it that I have a long way of learning to go, but I do trust. And I think that he's, he puts me in places that I never would have been. Are you able to find comfort in the fact that Justin's one life is impacting thousands of others through hope and encouragement for, you know, other families, other mama hearts, things like that? It's my dream to have everyone know that's going through this. And I'm not talking just traumatic there's health, there's cancer, there's wives, there's husbands, there's mothers and fathers and sisters. And we all have grief right. and nobody wants to talk about it. It is like the worst topic in the world. And my hope is that Justin's honor of what he went through will touch someone in their life and, and hopefully thousands look at me as someone that they can say, you know, She's strong. She's courageous. She's got strength. I need her in my corner. I want Justin's heart and soul and life to be something that honors that people can understand that life can go on, even though you may have lost somebody and you can make it better, but it's up to you and your faith to make it better. It's absolutely up to you to make that change. Hopefully I can provide some kind of knowledge or model or hope. You can do it. You can make it. 
What do you think, for your personal opinion, what do you think makes parental grief so difficult? I think the words are true when you say you're not supposed to bury your kids before you. It's a part of your soul, right? Justin and Brian, my oldest son, Brian and Justin, were part of me. And when you lose part of you in, in not the natural way of life, you know, grandma lives to 95 and she had an amazing life and 18 kids and 19 grandkids and whatever. It's not that circle of life kind of thing. As a mother, you know this, you want everything for your kid. You want them to grow and go to college or get married and have a family and live happily ever after and, and not have to face any kind of trauma or negativity. I'm not just talking grief. I'm talking breakups and divorces and in health and cancer. You want that steady stream of, of goodness for your family when it doesn't happen and it happens to one of your own. And it's not only you, you're just so overwhelmed with not being able to fix what happened and not being able to be there to make it better or right. They're not skinning their knee, falling off a bike and you roll up and you're like, mommy's got you. I got you. I got you. I'm going to make this better. I'm going to kiss it. And they're happy and they go on. But when your kids, when your kids don't get to live out the life that you've always dreamed of, I think that's probably the hardest, the hardest to deal with. I really don't have anything to follow up with that. I just, I, yeah, I thank you, Father God, that I will never know what that is like. Did you, I remember after my husband passed away and I was trying to be social, I didn't really want to be social, but I, I was tired of staring at the same walls in the house. And so I tried to get out when I went with people who did not know me. I loved that. I didn't have to explain anything. People didn't ask me questions. Did you ever find comfort in environments that no one knew you? Oh my gosh, that just gave me chills because it's exactly what I dealt with. Thanksgiving, I didn't get out of bed. I didn't get out of bed. It was like the week after Justin's funeral, but Christmas was coming. I had grandkids that expected toys from their Nana, right? And so I was like, how am I going to do this? And I remember not putting up a tree. I didn't want to, I didn't want it. Merry Christmas. No, it wasn't Merry Christmas. I didn't want anybody to say happy holidays to me. I didn't want anybody, you know. And I remember going into a toy store. And I remember the lady saying, how are you today? When I was getting ready to check out and I was like, oh, thank God. I can say fine. She doesn't know the difference. That was the best feeling in the world. And it was awful that I felt that way, but I was so like, oh, thank you. I can say fine and walk out of here and not have to explain the story. So exactly what you said, there was, there came a time where you didn't have to look at somebody with, they give you those sad look. And how are you doing? Are you doing okay? No, I'm not doing okay. But I'm going to tell you I'm doing okay because I don't want to go into it. I don't want to tell you how horrible it is. And this person just simply asked, how are you? I said, fine. We all went with our day. And it was like the most incredible experience. And then I crawled back into bed and I said, whew. That took it out of me. This day, I don't like bringing attention to myself. I don't like people going, that's hope. She lost her son. I tell people this. I, I don't want your sympathy. I want your understanding. I needed people to understand that I was going to live for Justin and that I wasn't going to be in bed and that it was, it took me a while, but the social aspect, like you said, was probably one of the better things that happened right after it, to be honest, then the puppy dog, I'm so sorry. And you know, their heart's in the right place. Yeah. Absolutely. Their heart's in the right place. It was just, it got to be exhausting. People show up to do what they know how to do or in some way, shape or form help you. It would be worse not to say anything, right? but to let me cry if I want to cry, to let me curse if I want to curse, to let me rail at God, just ride the wave out with me. They mean well, you receive it with grace because what else, you know, what, who knows what to say, right? right? It is so awkward for people. And the one thing they want to do is fix you. I think that's the biggest problem you're going through grief is people want to fix you and get you back where you were and put you back in that slot. 
I would tell people, say, listen, I'm not there yet. When Justin first passed, I remember my dad telling me, you need to get back to work and get your mind off of it. Like, you don't get your mind off this, dad. This isn't something that I lost my dog. This is my son. I lost my son. I'm never going to get my mind off that. But he meant well. He was like, just get back to work and get back to normal. Because everybody goes back to normal. And I tell Mm -hmm. people that, right? Mm -hmm. When the funeral and the dinners are done, the prayers have been said, the grave's been done, everything's done, three or four weeks, you're still dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And everybody else has gone back to that normalcy. And I tell people all the time, this is when you need to help people the most. I need to hear from you the month anniversary or the three month anniversary, just thinking about you. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything you need? Or send a card and say, I'm thinking of you, letting you know, I understand. I tell people all the time that you go back to normalcy. I'll never go back to normalcy. I'll never go back to that version 1.0. I'm version 2.0. I'm going to go in these waves and flows. Love what you said. Ride the wave with me. Be here with me. You're never going to fix it. Even though you want to, you're never going to fix me. It's very important that people understand. And I've told people in in our program, when people ask you, how can they help? They really mean it. Like they really do mean it. But when you're going through it, you have no idea what to tell these people. And so I always tell people to have a friend that you can bounce stuff off of and say, If somebody could go get my groceries or go pick up the kids tonight, and this may be three months out or six months out, you have that friend that says, you know, I really want to help hope, but I don't know what to do. You can say, well, Sherry knows exactly what she needs right now. And it may be going to the grocery or picking up the dog. You lose a spouse. Is there something wrong with your plumbing that you may need help with or your heating or something that would sit there because we don't know what to do? Find that friend that you trust that says, you know, tell me what you need. And if people ask, you can say, you know what, if you could ask Sherry, Sherry knows exactly what I need and just give that to them because God, you need help. Right. Yeah. That's a great idea too, because I have a friend who lost her father and she has a huge family and always people in and out of her house, but she would never tell me what to do. So I got to watching people coming in and out of her house. So what I have done in the last three months is get her toilet paper, paper towels, paper plates, plastic forks, you know, plastic cups, all that stuff that with all these people processing through the house, that they, they are not leaving a bunch of dirty dishes behind. Right. That's all I knew to do at the time. But she's so sweet. She'll text and say, thank you so much. That was awesome. Right. Something so practical. Right. And that's what I'm saying. There's so many things that we can do that we don't think of besides the casseroles. Pick the dog up from the vet or, hey, can I take the kids for a couple hours so you can go to the grave and just be or cry? Or the best thing is tell me about them. Tell me something I didn't know about, Justin. And I will tell you something all day long. I will talk about Justin all day. But if you say that to somebody that's grieving, how amazing is that, right? Like if I say, tell me a little bit about your husband. I bet you a million dollars, your face would light up. You would be like, oh, I love this. Let me tell you about the crazy things you did. And that's what we need. That's what we need. So tell me one or two things, favorite things about Justin, something he did, something about his nature, his character. You know, Justin, believe it or not, had a sense of humor. I don't know where he got it from. Um, But (laughs) just kidding, I'm kidding. I think I have a sense of humor. Justin had the best sense of humor. And no matter how mad I would get at that kid, and it was a lot. He was was trouble from the time he was born. He even came out blue. I was like, you had given me a hard time from birth. He had this amazing way of making you smile and laugh. And then on top of that, he had impressions. He used to do impressions that were spot on. And to this day, I will, I'm not going to do them here, but to this day, I really try to mock these impressions and I do it with my grandkids and they love it. They think it's the greatest thing. And I'm not even half as good as him, but I try to keep his spirit alive with, I try to get the grandkids to, to listen. And most of the time they're like, Nana, whatever. But that was some great things about Justin. He, his sense of humor and his, he had the greatest impressions. That does linger on after. That's kind of part of that deposit that we leave behind in the people that we do life with. My husband was very much a, 
had a great sense of humor. If you met my husband, you and him would have been laughing right from the get-go about cutting up about crazy stuff. We were together a little over 33 years. Our humor got us through difficult times in, in marriage and challenges and raising kids and starting a business and, and all the things that come with that. People don't understand the beauty or the necessity of humor. Right. It's, it's, ne- it's necessary for life. I couldn't imagine not laughing. That's one of the things when Justin, when it first happened, I felt guilt from, from laughter. And I was thinking people are staring at me going, she just lost her son and she's laughing. She's laughing over here. That was probably one of the hardest things for me was to realize that Justin, oh my gosh, Justin would be so frustrated with me if I didn't go back to who I was or part of who I was. I think that that going in and out too of like laughter and then sadness, it's all part of this process. And one minute you're in the body, the next minute you're out of the body type thing. It's it's weird. It's strange. I can't explain it, but it is. One minute you're laughing, then you catch yourself like, why am I laughing? I mean, that was right. funny, but why am I laughing? Right. Life is serious right now. You know. I was always that same way. Like, I remember going into counseling and I would cry the whole time. Then the next time I would say a little something, you know, thought I was being funny. And then I was like, oh, she's probably thinking this woman is crazy. She's laughing and crying at the same time. That's how you, how you face life. You have so many emotions and everybody says that it's five stages of grief that you go through. That is probably the worst thing that was ever said is because I didn't go through it. I mean, I went through waves of different emotions, but I didn't go through it this way, this way, this Mm -hmm. way. That's one of the things that I love to tell about with grief is it's as individual as we are. And I was so worried that there was something wrong with me because I wasn't in bed screaming, crying 24 seven. And I thought, okay, something's going to happen a year down the road and I'm going to be in a worse spot now because I'm not doing these, these patterns that they say is supposed to be. I agree. I think I touched on each one of the five and then sometimes we go back and revisit them. I'd look like I was doing okay. And then I'm back at square one, if you will. Right. Uh, but how do you make sense of this anyway? How do you make sense of the reality of, of death and of this life? I don't, I don't know how to make sense of that. I have, submitted that to the Lord. At what point did your healing begin? Did you sense a shift from grieving, mad at God, having questions for God, wanting answers? When did your healing begin? That's a great question. The first year you're going through the motions. I dealt with a lot because of the the, the case and the grief share. And I, I was trying to do it. My counselor was like, I hope you don't have to get through all these pointers the first six weeks. Because I was like, okay, you said journaling. Okay, journaling, you need to do this. You're goal oriented, like you said. Yes, yes. I was like, okay, I got to get this journaling down and then I got to pack of stuff. Then I got to do this. And then I started feeling guilty if I didn't journal. She said to, to write a letter to Justin each day. And I remember skipping one day. It wasn't on purpose. It was just life had happened. I went back to work. I remember coming home and just being exhausted and falling asleep in the next morning, waking up and going, I didn't write to Justin. And then I felt that guilt. Oh my gosh. He didn't think he was important. I'm sure he felt like I just disowned him. Then she said, oh, you got to be a little more patient uh, with yourself. So learning how to be patient, I kept trying to find my purpose. And I kept saying, just be kind, couldn't be it, right? Like I need to write a book, but I'm not really into writing a book. And I was like, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could join a podcast. Maybe I could be a book. No, I'm not really good at that. But then it was like, well, maybe you could start a grief share group. Then I was like, oh, I don't know. And things happened at work and life got busy. I started realizing that the, the days got a little bit longer. I'd have the ups and the downs, but they were farther between. And then Kobe Bryant passed. And I think before that it was George Michael. George Michael had passed too. Then COVID hit and death was like every day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, just imagine if that was your mother or father or sister or child being just put on there as a number. Could you imagine not being able to be in the hospital? while your spouse is, is, is dying or not being able to talk to them or be there. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
what can I do? And I talked to God and I said, you know, this be kind thing is great, but is there anything else I could do? I thought, okay, here I am on Zoom 24 hours a day with my work. And if I could do a virtual support group for people that are grieving with COVID or grieving just in general, that would be great. And then I developed this program and I licensed it. I thought, ooh, fancy. I copyrighted it. Didn't know what I was doing there, but I copyrighted it. Grief to Hope was born out of COVID and virtual and, and all that energy that I've been waiting on. That is birth, giving birth out of tragedy. Grief to Hope, you have created this around the word grief. Tell me a little bit about G-R-I-E-F. It's a seven-week program, and the first week come and we meet virtually, and it's an introduction. So we talk about my story, my why, I talk about Justin, and then I tell them what to expect over the next six weeks after that. I ask if anybody wants to introduce themselves, tell their stories, and a lot of times I've had several sessions, uh, series, and people just repeat it. They just come back, and you can. It's just, you know, like any other session. You can keep repeating it. You can join it when you want to. Life happens. You can join session one, five, seven, it doesn't matter. But I tell them what to expect in the first. And then I spell out the word grief. And so the first is G for gift of time. And so that's our main topic for that. And it can branch off in different forms. But I I try to come in with a main topic for us to even speak to and what we deal with. So I try to hit on stuff that really is meaningful, like how time helps. What's the expectations with women and men grief? Like with the men in my group, they were expected to get back to normal faster than the women, even in different types of grief. So there was just a lot of difference with that when it comes to the male and female perspective, which I thought was very interesting. Then the next week is R for receive help. And we talk exactly what we talked about tonight. How can you ask for help? What can you do? What, What happens when people ask you simply, what can I do to help you? And you have no idea what that means. I is inspire. And inspire does not go with grief. And I get that, but it does. Because inspire means what inspires you to get out of bed every single morning. And I'm not talking get up, write a book, ride a bike, exercise. I'm talking just getting out of bed. What inspires you? Whether it's honoring your loved one, your family, your, your spouse, your job, your career, whatever is, it inspires you. You need to find that you need to focus on that inspiration and what moves you, what, what makes you want to keep going forward. And that's the goal of grief to hope is moving forward. Inspiration could be, I got to pack the kids lunch. I got to make Christmas for my grandkids. And then E is expectations. What are the expectations that we have? You know, as grievers, just like you said, we expect them to know what we're thinking. We expect them to know what we need. We expect them not to say awkward, crazy questions like time heals all wounds, right? Don't say that. We don't, it doesn't heal, but people do, right? Or he's in a better place. Okay, but he's not here. He's not here. And also, what do we expect of others and what do they expect of us? And most of the time, people expect us to be in our bed for months and months crying, and they don't expect us to be out living. And so we talk about that. And then F is feel everything, which is my favorite. If I do have a favorite, it's our tribute. And basically it's feel everything. We bring pictures, we tell stories, we tell what we miss the most. We just did what you did here. You asked me something you wouldn't have known about Justin or tell funny stories. And, and I've had moms bring pictures of their whole families into the, you know, Zoom. It's just bringing together and, and sharing that experience together is amazing. And then the last session is to hope. And it's what's your next step? What do you want to do? And it could be hope. I want to go through his stuff. Hope I want to go to the grave and actually go up to the headstone. I want to make a quilt or I want to write a book or what, you know, what's your next steps? And it could be, I just want to get up and take a shower and not cry. What I try to get people to understand is grief to hope is not about forgetting. It's moving forward on your pace, but always moving forward, always taking that next step. And it may be the tiniest little step, but it's moving forward. My famous quote is people that are grieving are amazing 
and they have more strength in them than most people will ever imagine in their lifetime. It does take a lot of courage to not check out on your reality. Your reality is that your loved one is gone. Mm -hmm. And then to actually process that, not run from it, but to process it. That's, that does take courage. It takes a lot of courage. Yeah. I applaud those moms that have to get up and function for their other kids. My grandkids keep me rolling, man. They, they are my world, but I couldn't imagine having to raise other children in that, in that process. I couldn't. And I, and I, I don't know how people do it. And I, that's, they're the strongest people, strongest. When you were going through grief share, did you have a Bible verse that you clung to anything that came alive for you, anything that took on a new meaning for you, a deeper understanding? I don't have a particular verse, but I do know that during grief share, the main thing that stuck with me was that God understood that I was mad. I always thought that you have to be nice. He doesn't get that I'm having a bad day. He's unconditional. And he's a parent and we're parents and we love our kids unconditional. And even though we do crazy, awful things that he forgives us, I I have to learn to forgive as well. That's a tough pill to swallow though. When your son was, was taken at the hands of someone to me that senseless and yet a reality. You know, I, it's exactly it. I mean, it's frustrating and it's, and it's anger, but man, if I sat here and dwelled on that, could you imagine the person I would be? Woo. No, (laughs) that'd be awful. They would have had to change Um, your name. Yeah, I would. I would have to change it to mean, mean, but uh, but, (laughs) right. Hopeless. I, I couldn't imagine uh, living with that pain and anger. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I live with pain, but I live with honoring my son versus revenge and hatefulness and anger. Well, you've chosen the better of the two. Mm-hmm. Honor your son, live right. a full life, you know, share who he is, heal other people, or at least let them know they're not alone. Give them the yeah. ability to express themselves or get caught up in trying to blame somebody, somebody take responsibility, the anger, the frustration, the pain that's still, you know, being known for that. Mm-hmm. So, and everybody would be okay with that, right? People would be okay with that. You have a right. Yeah, you have right. a right. But I, I tell people all the time, they ask me, they're like, Ooh, I don't know if I could do this, Hope. I don't know. And I, I say, you know, I, you got two choices. And my whole life, I've dealt with that. Like my whole life, not with this severity, of course. You have two choices to play victim or play survivor. Those are your two. People are okay with both. It's what you're okay with. I wasn't okay with playing victim. I wasn't okay with that. And I've never been okay with that. And, you know, push me down, keep pushing me, but I'm going to fight and I'm going to come back up. And it's powerful to live that way. It is. And it's a beautiful testimony too. The human will to live and to survive is incredible. The grief to hope sounds like a lifeline for many people. And so that is a beautiful portion of you coming back strong, of you being a survivor, a victor, Mm -hmm. when when something of this life, a reality of this life wanted to take you down. The biggest thing that I think about with God is that I trust him. He's been good to me. (laughs) He is good all the time, regardless, because I'll even say that God is good even in death. And what I mean by that, that even though I lost my husband, there are still things that I feel like he did for me in the midst of that. He planned things that he put things in place prior to me knowing that I would need them. He, um, for instance, I knew where my husband was when he passed away. There are some people who do not know where their loved one is. They can't find them. I knew how I knew how my loved one passed away. Um, There are some people who can't figure out what happened to um, him. I had... um, I had his body. That was another thing too. Some people don't get their loved one. So there's a lot of things that he did for me on that day that I am thankful for. Can you think of anything that you're thankful for on that day? I love that question. I think that God, one, gave me the strength to manage that day. However, I, I did. He brought me to my family 
and gave me a sense of comfort that I didn't know existed that day. And I probably didn't realize it in the moment. Mm-hmm. He provided me comfort. I don't even know how I made it through that day. I don't even remember really that day. God really gave me the comfort of that day to say, you know, I got, I got you, Hope. I got you. And, and provided the answers to that funeral home to say, we, we understand. We'll, we'll go get him. We'll, we'll take care of it. Because that was probably the most frustrating thing on earth. It sounds like the Lord put you in contact with another mama. Yes. That sounds like something a mama would do. We're going to do it and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. And you know what? She didn't know me from Adam. I could have been negative $500 in my account. She had no idea. Just somebody saying, being there saying, we got it. This is the last thing you need to worry about. Because honestly, that was like all I kept on thinking about was him and this morgue. Because you know, the, the pictures of morgues, I don't, I've never been in one, but I've seen them on TV and they're not very inviting, right? And you don't want your kids sitting there. And even though, you know, you know that he's the spirit, but it's just, it's, it was hard. It was, that was probably the hardest thing was to, to figure out what I needed to do to get him home and to get him to a place where I could see him. And you make that point that, you know, his spirit wasn't there, but that body is still the one that you held his hand, you kissed his lips, or you could, for me, I would kiss my husband's lips, you kissed his cheek, you hugged. That's the body with which we made a connection through. So yeah, I knew my husband's spirit was not there. He's in heaven, but it's still the hand you held. Yeah. You know, it's still the person. So there is, a, I get it when you're saying you want to get him out of there. You want to give him his proper burial. You want right. to, to do the, the, the right things for him. Yeah, absolutely. The last thing you want to, you just thinking he's in this cold, drafty, dark thing, you know, place. And, and you're like, wow, I don't want my kid in there. Well, I can't help but feel like your mama spoke something over you when she named you Hope. Or maybe God inspires us to name our children. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But I do believe it has set a marker for your life and a marker for you to be kind because you have chosen the better of the two options and it shows through in your life. And I know for sure that grief to hope is a blessing to so many people because you have chosen the better option. One last question. Is there anything that I have not asked you about, something that you feel that the listener needs to hear, something that I have overlooked that you want to share? I think the biggest takeaway for today is one, if you're grieving, is to be patient. Be patient with yourself and understand that you are unique in yourself and your grief is just as unique as you are. And allow yourself the patience to grieve the way that you need to grieve. And find find people out there that want to help. And we're all out here. There's many, many of us out here that are just wanting to help and, and, and be there for you. It's tough to be vulnerable, but it sounds like that's really where the key is to move you through healing and to have people come alongside you in a supportive way. Absolutely. Hope Rieger, you are a blessing to so many. And I know that through this conversation, that will expand even more. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, your passion, and your hope. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website site, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.